This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. All right, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point us to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, he has created us anew in Jesus Christ, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. This is what we're talking about. Who am I? And the thought has been this. This is week three, so let's jump right into the thought of where we are, what we want to talk about. What does it mean for my humanity to be in Christ uh, there was a lot of amens while Victoria Kate was reading the Bible. And I think, it, especially as Christians, there's a lot of mental agreement to what Jesus has done. But for that mental agreement to become a reality in our life is a challenge. And that's what this whole uh, series that I've been you know, meditating on is how do we make what's in Christ a reality. Let's look at our foundation scripture of what we've been holding on. Here it is, Ephesians 2. Verses 9 and 10. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And then this, we are God's masterpiece. Now what we've been saying about that is that that masterpiece is not based on who you are right now, but it's based on who you were before you were ever born. And that's where you have to kind of make the shift. You... You have to make the shift that because God is eternal and he's not bound by time and because God existed before the foundations of the earth and because God knows all things and the reason is he's eternal. So the reason he knows all things is he's from beginning to end but from beginning to end is a time frame. He existed before the beginning and he existed after the end. And then the beginning and the end is where we find ourselves in humanity. So that's how God can know everything. 
He knows all because he sees, this is what's even weird about God, God even sees all the way to the end and already knows what's going to happen. God sees, and this is even more weird, God sees the next 10 years of your life and knows where you're going to be living, what you're going to be doing, and where you're going to be. Now we can either think, well, that's just by luck, and I hope I don't blow it, or I hope, you know, I mean, there's a lot of weird things that go with that, but that's the whole point of what we're trying to do. In Christ means that the masterpiece planned long ago, before the world began, is more than just a cosmic painting. Because that's kind of what we've been talking about, that God's up here in the eternal realm before any of us ever existed, and He's got this masterpiece and then there's the masterpiece of Mark here in the, the cosmic eternal realm. And then here's the mess of Mark in the earthly realm. So that the mess of Mark, if you know my story, I won't go into it. won't belabor that thought too long. But in my story in 2010 of December, I just totally fell apart. Everything in my life, everything in my home, everything in my marriage because of a choice just Rock bottom, I went from a good life and life was good to lost everything. Uh, went from making good money to food stamps and having to go to the government to have food to feed my family and get money from the government so I could go buy groceries. And all that happened in about 90 days. It was just a, you know, so, so that tells me this. Who's right and who's wrong? Because God painted this beautiful masterpiece of Mark and I'm down here on December 31st in 2010 in a royal mess. An ugly mess. Who's right? Is God right that he painted a masterpiece or can I call him a liar because I'm in a mess and if I am in a mess and I'm not the masterpiece, the beautiful thing is whose fault is it? Why did he paint the masterpiece if he knew I was going to end up a mess. And so now one of the things we can think about that thought is God is not painting it based on current situations. He's painting it based on possibility. Not the possibility of you blowing it or doing it perfectly because there's not a human in here that can do that. There's not a human in here that can live life perfectly. So he doesn't paint the masterpiece because you're going to be religiously perfected. He paints the masterpiece of your life because he knows who he is. And he is perfected. And he is all faithful. And he is the masterpiece painter even though you're in the middle of a mess. So watch. Who's right? Both of you. He's right in that he sees you with his possibilities available and you're right because you see what you can do to yourself. Both of them are needed. You have to have the mess to understand how much we humans can blow it. So that we understand what it means to be in Christ. That there is nothing of yourself that could do anything to get you to the masterpiece. It's something that he and he alone can do. It's why so many people are slow to get saved. Why? We're just stubborn. And we love painting our own masterpiece. We love being the ones that 
that in the mess is like, oh, let me, let me change it. And I'm down here repainting my life. Let me get a new man. Let me get a new woman. Let me get a new job. Let me get a new car. And God's up here going, look, I've already thought all this through for you. I already thought about your spouse. I've thought about your future. I've thought about everything. But there's something in us that as humans, we just like to be the painter. I like to fix my mess. I don't want to bother God. And so in Christ means, and this is where I want to hold on to today because this is really the crux of it. In Christ means that the heavenly masterpiece is an earthly reality. It is an earthly reality. So that if I'm in a mess and I'm not the masterpiece, the thing I have to tell in my head is do I believe more in the cosmic painting or the earthly reality? And then I get to choose what I want to do. If I choose cosmic painting, I've got several options. Good luck if I get it. It's too hard. I'll never be what God sees me to be. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Poor pitiful me. Thank God for mercy. And what we mean by that is thank God for mercy because I'm just so rotten and terrible. But the grace didn't come just so you could admit being rotten and terrible. The grace came to show you the power of the masterpiece. So the question is, when we talk in Christ, do we mean just somehow God thinks something about you that's giddy? Or do we mean that His giddy painting can really be real in your life. That I can become the masterpiece because of Christ even though I'm a royal mess. Even though I come from a broken family. Even though I, I have made some terrible mistakes. Even though I hit rock bottom. You heard Lauren's testimony last week in the second service. That the moment I turn to God is that moment when I say in Christ. So here's how I will define this cosmic reality of the painting versus the earthly reality of my mess. It's a simplicity of how it all begins to change. And it can change before psychotherapy. It can change before you get addicted. It can change before you become depressed. It literally can change. Now, you would think, you know, is there a magic pill for it to change? Because it does seem, as I said last week, some people get luckier than others. Some people do better in this earthly life than others. But the masterpiece before I got here was crafted for me. And so what I want to teach you today, I hope I do a good job with it. But what I want to teach you is this gap between who he's painted me to be versus who I am at present. Because I don't, I just don't see it. I, I, I'm not getting it. I don't, how do I apply it? How do I just sit in a dark room in my prayer closet and close the door and try to become one with the painting? Well, that's great if you do it. But you can't do it long. you got to get out and go to the bathroom. you got to go get a job. you got to feed the children. And if you have children, there is no cosmic quiet closet. <laughs> as soon as you close the prayer closet, it's, Mama! Everything falls apart. They spit on me. I pooped on beds. 
And I always say, if you ever want to find a kid or something you lost, go in a prayer closet. You'll find it immediately. You'll sit down to pray and you'll be like, oh, I remember where it's at. Because it's that earthly reality that the devil is working overtime to keep you from. Now, now the scripture I'm going to share with you right now is, it, it really just is going to make, need to be your brain. It's going to have to shift what we think. Here's the scripture. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Now there's this thought that there's a different way you can live than everybody else lives. You don't have to live like the rest of the world. Now most Christians, if you've been saved any length of time, believe this. It might not be reality, but we believe you shouldn't live like everybody else. You shouldn't go clubbing. You shouldn't look at porn. You shouldn't cuss. If you do, not much. You, you, you. <laughs> like, like there, is, there is a reality that, that when you're saved, you do have this weird guilt trip that I need to try to quit all my bad stuff. Uh, that's just something about it. The moment you come to God, the guilt trip is I got to quit all my bad stuff. I got to stop. Ugh, I got to stop watching Harry Potter. I got to stop all the. But that's not what I want you to think about. Because there's a lot of clubs on the earth that would like you to stop your bad stuff. My daughter got inducted into the beta, the beta club, and she got. Uh, selected to National Honor Society. And when they were reading about all the stuff, they're like, those that are inducted is your character, is your leadership is. your." I mean, they were, it was just like, man, this is incredible of what they think that these kids should be exemplifying in their high school. So let's just, let's just say this. You don't need Jesus to be a better person. You just need to get good grades and they'll induct you into it. You just need to make sure you're not blowing the school up and you'll get in a club because you're good character. And we're so bad character now, it doesn't take much good character to get in. Well, we just want to say that these that are inducted have been the children in the high school that have, well, not threatened to blow the place up. All right, right? I mean, but that's not what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. They live like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world, he's the spirit that's working. I want you to know this, whether we would believe it or not, the Bible does teach it. There is a power working in your life, whether you know it or not. The unseen world is wanting to have an engagement within your life. The unseen world looks at you as an opportunity. The unseen world sees your life and thinks, I could work my magic through them. I could see Leslie and I can work my power in her life. And if I can get my power to work in her life, the spirit that works, I could cause her to do what I want her to do because I'm the devil and I'm over all these wicked powers and I can control humans because I work in their heart. 
So when we look around at our country and we see the divisions of races and the division of politics and the division of families and all the things we see, let's just at least be uh, mature enough believers to know that it's not political, it's not relational, it's not emotional, it is spiritual. There are spirits that work in the world to uh, cause us to become disobedient. So, so watch this. Here's this masterpiece being painted in the cosmic eternal realm of Mark. And God backs away and says, this is who I see Mark to be. And I want to work this painting out in such a way that it becomes a reality in Mark's life. And the devil... And here's the weird thing. They called him the commander of the powers in the unseen world. So picture, the painting is now finished and God signs his name to my life. And God backs away and says to Christ, this is who I see Mark to be because of you. As soon as that painting is done in the eternal realm, there is another spirit that's out there. That I, this is just my belief, that sees the painting because he's in the spirit world. He's been around from the beginning of time. And I think he looks at that, and, and, and because he cannot stand God, he works in every way he can to get your life to obey him rather than God. To get your life to be the mess rather than the masterpiece, the problem rather than the painting. The religion rather than the relationship. And he literally is working. We, we, we have to get out of this mode that it's just earth and there's this realm out there. Then they just fight each other and they occasionally come in a UFO ship and say hello to somebody in Arkansas. And they get abducted and raped out in the cosmic world and put back. I don't know, I was out here milking the cow and I saw a bright light and the next thing I know I was... I was up there naked. So the reality of this, the reality is it's not just some sketch off Saturday Night Live and it's not just some news reporter that caught some unidentified flying object. There is a world in the unseen world that has a commander and the commander loves to work in people. So can you imagine when he says the masterpiece, the commander of the unseen powers are like, okay, here we go. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get him to thank God. I mean, they're literally, they're literally scheming. The book of Ephesians says that we need to be wise to the devil's schemes. He's scheming. He's looking for ways to sink your battleship. He's looking for the Achilles heel of your life. He's looking for the one thing, Ryan, that irritates you, the one button he can push that he knows when he does, Ryan will begin to live for his own self. Ryan will begin to follow his own passionate desires and his own inclinations. And Ryan's life will be just like everyone else. No different in him at all. There's no life in Ryan at all. He's just like the world. And so the world looks at him and says, well, why do you think I need to be born again? You're no different than me. You're no better than me. You have the same problems as I do. And so it 
what I would love you just to see in this verse is that whether we like it or not, spirits are working. And so is God. So here's the thought. In Christ I am, but also in the devil I am. Both powers are working. One power is saying, trust. The other power is saying, run for your life. He's not here. He doesn't care about you. He's done you dirty. Next scripture. This is kind of stretches us a little bit. For he, God, raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. Now this is where it gets really weird. Can I, Ryan, let me bother you. So come on up and I'm going to bother Ryan. Give Ryan a hand as Ryan comes. Stand right there. So in the eternal realm, God has painted this beautiful, handsome fella. You're welcome. Name Ryan. <laughs> Crafted him to just be awesome. And then when he, the enemy sees that, and the enemy comes over here, and the enemy begins to just crouch and cower. A power of the unseen world that doesn't want this fella to know what God thinks about him. But Ryan comes to Jesus. And when Ryan comes to Jesus because of the death of Jesus, because of the power of Jesus, because Jesus' power is greater than the power of the devil, and the devil's power is the ruler of the dark, unseen world, but Jesus' power is the power over all the world, Jesus wins. Now when Jesus wins... Ryan trusts Jesus. Come on now. Jesus comes, brings Ryan up into the heavenly realm, turns him around, and sits him down right beside his painting. And says, I've seated you with me, boy. You're seated with me in the heavenly realms. This is weird, I know. Because you're like, what happened to him? The earthly realm. You have to know the power of God... Because God already sees Ryan not as a painting anymore, but as an overcomer, one who reigns with him, one who has all authority, all dominion, all power, and everything you could ever need. I sat you by me because there's nothing else you need to do. I did it all for you, boy. Everything you needed, everything you wanted, everything you desired, every dream, everything that you ever thought. When I died for you and came up, I sat you by me. And the reason you're seated by me is you're no longer a painting. You are a reality. And the reality is you're more than a conqueror. That's why I sat you by me. Now, poor Ryan, not dead yet. And he doesn't know if he believes in the rapture. He's still here. He's still on planet earth. Now in his mind, he will either determine in Christ are his problems more powerful than the place where he's already seated. And you better believe that world he's in now is going to get him to pony up to the breakfast table of the world. Chase the world, seek the world, run after the world. 
And Ryan, here in his mind, is going to have to determine, am I defeated or am I seated? Because what we teach is, well, one day you'll die. <laughs> and you'll get up there. And when you get there, boy, it'll be the good life. Until then, good luck. <laughs> it's bad down here, Ryan. It's a terrible world. But one day Jesus will come and get us. That's kind of what we teach people. Like if you could just hold on. Grit your teeth until the white horse comes and whisks you away. That is ludicrous. He doesn't need a white horse to whisk him away for him to overcome. What he needs to overcome is his noggin has to see himself seated rather than defeated. Because there's nothing else this God is going to do for him. It's already all been done. He will not die again. He will not come on a cross again. He has done all he needs to do for him. Now either he chooses to believe this or he chooses to believe the unseen powers that are trying to work to get him not to believe it. Now watch. His strength in God is no longer based on the power of Christ. Christ has already done it. His strength in God is based right here. What will he believe about this moment? For all things are possible to him who believes. And now the warfare, if you've never been in it, it is miserable, is right there. Oh, Lord Jesus, when this little noggin gets in a warfare... We pout, we cry, we whine. <laughs> it is a hellhole of a war. Because this enemy never wants this young man to believe he's seated. I need him to always think he's behind the eight ball. And God is always mad at him. And he's always got to do something to come groveling back to God. Or, because of Christ, he either is deceited or he's defeated. Thank you, Ryan. For me. Now, why? Purple. Because God wants Ryan to be an example of his grace. An example of his kindness, but I put in pink. We're to be an example of everything done for us. An example of everything done. So when I say in Christ, there's nothing more He's going to do for you. When I say in Christ, it's all about your head, watch, bridging the gap between the cosmic painting and the earthly reality. And the gap is bridged, weird but true, by faith. It's just by faith. I don't see it, I don't need to see it, I'm already seated. I don't feel it, I don't need to feel it, I'm already seated. I don't get it, well you really don't have to, it was him anyway. You're already seated. And I will say at my age, at 56, I love God dearly and I love his word dearly. But I'm going to tell you this thing right here comes up in the weirdest of weird times. 
holy smoke, you just be driving down the road and life is good. And then all of a sudden, burp, ah, the brain, the thought life, the warfare, the you're going to die. Your heart's racing. I'm going to die. Oh, my God. My kids are going to die. Yes, they're going to die. Your wife's going to leave you. She's cheating with another man. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden, a whirlwind of war, and the devil's like, <laughs> And in one moment, I go from seated to defeated. And it goes so quickly. Seated to defeated happens at about the time you can blink an eye or somebody slams on brakes on 285 and the gravy goes in your lap. Right? And immediately you're no longer seated. You are off that throne back on the earth about to murder somebody. So I don't want to pretend like that I think in Christ means you never have problems. You never have an issue. You never have an argument. You never have a thought. You never... Life is just tranquility. No. Life is not tranquil. In the world you'll have problems. But be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. So when that brain begins to not feel in Christ, I have to ring myself back to go, oh, I've already won here. I've, I'm seated here. I'm not going to stress this thing. Let me show you a thought. This is strange, but it, it, it will read prideful. I didn't write it to be that way. You can know how incredible God is by simply looking at my life. For my life is the earthly canvas of his heavenly masterpiece. It sounds prideful, but we should be able to look at you and determine how awesome God is. Because I'm looking at Leslie and go, God is awesome. And most of us give the devil more credit. Life's falling apart, man. Ooh, the devil's just on me hard. Okay, great. He's on, he's on your life hard, man. He's running the gamut. He's, he's at Vegas, man. All odds are on you, and he's going to get you. That's not who you are. So what you have to tell yourself is, will my earthly life become his heavenly canvas, and will my earthly life believe that I'm seated, and will my earthly life be an example to other people who don't know him that he really is an incredibly kind, awesome God? It's what Jesus means when he says you're the light of the world. You're an example to unbelievers. Your, your life causes them to be jealous for God's kindness and grace themselves. So maybe it's not another church we need to win sinners to God. Maybe it's more examples we need to win sinners to God. Not another building with more debt, but, but another example of us being an example of Christ. Here's a, here's a scripture. Now, bear with me. I, I, I wrestled on reading the whole passage here today, but it just didn't work well. So we, we read Ephesians 2. I would encourage you to read this because this is the crux of what it means to be in Christ to me. Uh, in the Genesis class, I go into this really deep, but today I, I can't afford to do that time-wise. This is Genesis 2, and it's the creation of Adam. Now, what we need to know prior to this reading is that God has created six days of the earth. He's done, he's done light, He's done the sky, He's done the seeds, He's done the seasons and the sun, moon, stars, He's done the birds and the fish, He's done the animals, and now we're at Adam. Now, to understand what in Christ means, seated in heavenly places means, in the most practical earthly way for me, Mark... This will give me insight. 
When the Lord God made the earth, took him six days to do it, and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rainwater to the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. And the Lord God, now here, here, watch now. If, if, if what I'm saying is true about the masterpiece before time began, and then the earthly reality, this would be the perfected moment. Because this is the first dude that ever became an earthly example of the heavenly painting. So might as well go to, go to Daddy One to see how does God take earthly masterpiece to, I mean, heavenly cosmic painting to an earthly reality. How did God do it? Watch. Pretty weird, but really cool. God's got the earthly master, the heavenly masterpiece, and they're like, who's that? This is just my brain. Who's that? That's Adam. Who is that? It's going to be a dude down there. It looks kind of like you, God. He does, doesn't he? A little smaller than me, but pretty good like me. Well, who is that? He, I'm going to put him down there on earth. Well, what's earth? Oh, okay, just watch. And so God, let there be light. Let the waters from above and the waters from below and let there be a, a space. Day two, boom. And let the seeds go into the ground and let the ground and the earth and the dirt sprout every living thing and let it bear fruit after its own kind and the trees and the leaves and the plants and the everything. Day four, let there be a sun and the moon and the stars to give the seasons and the times and the years and the days. Day, day five, uh, let there be fish and, and uh, birds. and uh, That's pretty cool. I'm teaching that in Genesis. It's mind-blowing. And then the sixth day, the sixth day, all of a sudden, boom, there, there's more animals. Yay, more animals. And then human. Now, where did God make the masterpiece from? Dirt. Right? So that... Christianity 101, Adam was made from the dirt. So God scoops down into the earth. There he is. No life at all, but dirt. My mind says, that's a terrible way to start. Dirt. But from the mind of God, ponder this with me. Again, I don't have time to go there deep, but it's a good thought to think about while you eat tacos today. That lump of dirt contained every bit of God's provision already in it before Adam ever became alive. Because that lump of dirt was the culmination of six days of God working. That means, here's how weird that is. That earth that we come from, Adam, that lump of dirt, do you know how powerful that lump of dirt is called the earth? When God made the earth, everything you see right now came from that lump of dirt. The chair you're in came from the dirt. The communion you're going to take came from the dirt. These beams came from the dirt. The medicine you're taking came from the plants and the dirt. The drink you drink came from the dirt. Everything, the vitamins that you take came from the dirt. The minerals you take came from the dirt. Everything on the planet came from the dirt. The skyscraper in New York, when God made earth, the skyscraper in New York was in the dirt. 
The metal was in the dirt. The stone was in the dirt. The medicine was in the dirt. The trees were in the dirt. The houses were in the dirt. Weird. The cars were in the dirt. The electricity was in the dirt. And when the water moves across the turbine with the copper that came from the dirt, the water that was created by God turns the turbine and hits the copper, we have electricity. The electricity was in the dirt. Everything we see was in the dirt before Adam ever got here. The cars on I-20, the asphalt we drive on, the paint that paints the lines we drive in, the computer you're on, the phone that you just held up and went, this is my Bible. Every bit of that was in the dirt. There's not a human that created anything. We just took what was already here and in our mind fashioned it to become something else. The lump of coal became the diamond that became the ring that caused you to get married. Because you really didn't like him, but the ring was awesome. (laughs) So are you with me? Before Adam ever became a living being, all of the resources of God were in that lump of dirt. So God just... And then he's looking at him and they're like, what's that? And he's like, well, that's all my resources. That's everything. Now watch. Inside that lump of dirt is every medicine, every house, every car, every computer, every bit of food... Everything he could ever need is in this lump of dirt that looks like me. So what are you going to do? I'm going to breathe into that lump of dirt and tell him to go rule and reign because all of his needs are within him already before he got here. (gasps) And Adam becomes a living being. But the living being that he was wasn't some Neanderthal dude. The brother is walking around with healing in him. The brother's walking around with houses in him and lands in him and cars in him and computers in him and all the stuff that's going to come out of the dirt later. And God looks back and says, Now, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, there's the painting. But that's what I mean. Everything you ever needed is already provided before you get here. Problem. Adam sins, loses it all, but no problem because God didn't paint your masterpiece to be in Adam. He painted it to be in himself. So when I blow it, and now we're born into the bad home, we're born into disease, we're born genetically deficient, we're born with the problems, we're born into this hell of earth... And and we don't possess all of the needs of God. We don't possess all the things that I need and all the things that I desire and not possess. I'm born on the wrong side of the tracks. I got the raw end of the deal. And God's like, okay. Nope. Mark, you can be born again. And when I am born again, here comes the scripture or the thought. I don't know what's coming next, but it'll be good. There it is. Like I don't know. I'm saying, oh God, something's coming. In Christ, everything I would ever need has been provided for me before I ever arrived on the earth. Do you believe that? Everything you ever needed was provided before you got here. 
So when you got here and you're in a hellacious home and you're in a terrible life, God is not worried that your mess is not his masterpiece because he looks back and says, Mark, everything you ever needed there, boy, in that mess is right here in Christ. Everything you ever need. That's why Jesus would say, if you'll seek him, all the stuff. That's how heaven thinks. Everything you need down there on the earth, right here, already provided for you. Here's where it gets interesting. This is where we'll close. Because remember, I wanted to tell you, how do you get the masterpiece to become the reality? Here's the scripture. By his divine power, God has done what? Given us everything we need. Now, if your noggin doesn't believe that, you will chase women, men, desires, addictions, passions, you will chase it. You will think if I can just get the job, more money, better people, better employer, retire, not get sick, not lose my brain, I could do it. You just need to get educated. You just need to think. You just need to be smart. Everything has been given to me already by God to live the life He wants me to live. We've all received all of this by coming to know him. Remember what I said about Ryan. That how do I receive that down here reality? You have to know it. It can't be a preacher that knows it for you. You have to know it for yourself. I can help and I don't mind helping, but you're the one that has to know it. Know what? Not know your problem. Not know Google. Not know WebMD. You have to know him. So the battle is not going to be, well, let me Google, let me figure it out. You, you do that till you die. It's, uh, ooh, ooh, let me put that down. That looks ugly. Oh, God, I just want to know you. Oh, I'm so frustrated right now, God, but I want to know you. Now, as you're knowing him, we've received all of this by coming to know him. So the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory, to be seated by him, remember, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us, here it comes, great and precious promises. Now these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. And escape the world's corruption caused by your desires. In view of all this, nothing more God's going to do for you. You need to make an effort. And the effort is, are you going to respond to the promise or respond to the problem? Because that is the gap between the painting and the reality. It's not Jesus. It's not how God thinks about you. It's not what the devil's trying to do to you. It's not what people do to you. The gap between the painting and the reality is the noggin. And either the noggin will know him and the noggin will trust him or the noggin will trust myself. And in that moment, I will either trust the promise or I'll trust the problem. And that, to me, is the battle of in Christ. In Christ is, is your brain going to focus on the problem or his promise? Now, let's end here, this thought. If the promise is what matters, I, I, how's the best way I can say it? Do you really think you're going to make it and not have a relationship with his word? 
the Bible has to stop being a devotional book. The Bible has to be how we overcome. And when it's just a devotion, all it does is eases your religious conscience to feel like you did your Christian duty. And that's okay. It was given to me so that I could know Him and find a promise so that I could become the promise of the painting rather than my problem. And when I fell apart in December of 2010, it was the goodness of my wife and the kindness of my mother and father and several friends that constantly pushed me to what God said about me versus what I felt about myself. And in that, I overcame. I didn't overcome because I felt it. I didn't overcome because I suddenly got so spiritual. I overcame because I took the painting, grabbed me a promise, and became the masterpiece versus the painting. Now, I don't even have a promise, but the problem's killing me. This was given to you. The Word of God was given to you whereby you could have great and precious promises and you could overcome. So if you have a problem right now, the answer is, God, show me a promise. Is your back hurting? God, show me something in the Bible. Is your marriage failing? Lord, show me a promise. Because the moment you get the promise you begin to pull off part of the masterpiece. And I'll tell you, you really want to know where the battle is, it's between the promise and the problem, and that's right here. Because if it doesn't happen in a time I need, I start believing the problem. But the question is, will you give the effort? And many times on this earth, I'm begging God to do more. I'm begging Him to show me more power. And I think God is up here like, more power? I gave you everything. Why do you keep coming back to me, son? I emptied my pockets on you. I got nothing left to give. I did it all. It was so powerful. It was my only son. The only begotten. There is no plan B, Ryan. And I believe that's why most live defeated is because we're on the earth begging God to please do something. And I think what God is doing in the heavenly realm is, Mark, you're already seated, son. So why don't you just quit your pouting, boy, and put a little bit of effort into believing my promises. Well, God, I don't want to put effort to your promise. I just want you to do it for me so I can brag how big you are. No, Mark. I don't need anybody to brag. I'm not on an ego trip. I just simply need you to trust my promise. So here's communion. Would you stand with me today? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.